Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, I'm glad you're able to make it out to uh, Praxis this evening. As you all know, we are continuing our series uh, entitled Wisdom Works. And basically, the goal of this series as we go through select Proverbs um, this summer is to really address and hit on topics that we and the leaders of Praxis Fellowship Group uh, really feel that um, you, as well as us, need to hear as young adults in this season of life. And so it is to that end that we decided uh, to address the issue of integrity. And though while it is broad, we hope to narrow in on some specific issues in our lives where we still need to excel furthermore in growing and developing our integrity as a witness uh, for Jesus Christ and as his children. Uh, so to that end, why don't I open in a word of prayer and then we'll begin our time tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just your word, Lord, that you did not leave us alone to live um, as fools, um, as disobedient to you, Lord, but you gave us your very own truth, Lord, um, in your revelation. And we thank you for just preserving your word, uh, for every word is applicable, Lord. Even the things that are seemingly simple, even the things that are maybe hard to comprehend, Lord, we thank you that you condescended to our level, Lord, by bringing your word to us, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would help illuminate your truth, Lord, as we seek to grow in our walk with you, Lord, knowing that we were bought with the price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so help us, Lord, um, to be humble to receive your word, Lord. And may it be clear for all of us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Potemkin Village is a popular phrase used in politics and economics to describe an impressive facade or outward appearance designed to, to hide an undesirable fact or condition. The history of phrase is the stuff of legend. As the myth goes, there was a fake village that was built by Grigory Potemkin to impress his lover empress, Catherine II, during her journey to Crimea in 1787. And Potemkin is said to have built this phony and fake settlement along the banks of the river to impress, impress this Russian empress. As she traveled along the path of the river, the structures would be disassembled after she passed and then reassembled further along her route. Talk about a weird flex. This legend inspired future fake building facades or false fronts that are deceptive, for they lack the substance of a real building that's naturally inhabited by real people that live there. It would be akin to a background set for a, a Hollywood movie with hired actors or actresses. In, in other words, a discrepancy between outer appearances that masquerade as something it's truly not. After all, outer appearances don't necessarily make it the complete and real thing. A real-life example of a Potemkin village that might be crash-landing on you unexpectedly is the fact that there's a place known in North Korea called Peace Village. Peace Village is popularly regarded as a fake village town outside the DMZ of North Korea. 
and South Korea has long argued that this peace village is merely a facade manned by the North Korean military. Some buildings have windows painted on them rather than being actual glass windows, claims one commander of the South Korean forces. It's also claimed that North Korea created this idyllic, peaceful village with the hopes of persuading and enticing South Koreans to defect North Korea, portraying a nice city and planting the idea in one's mind that it would be nice to live there. Yet isn't a Potemkin life a reality we experience as human beings? We present our best to the world and project an image we want others to see and perceive about ourselves. While ignoring or refusing to come to grips with who we are consistently in all areas of our life. Whether it's projecting a life of good food, travel, and fun to let others know what a purposeful life you have through curated posts on Instagram, or projecting an image of godly virtue by church attendance, mastery of Christian lingo, the question is who you are when you're not at church, when you're not curating posts on Instagram? Is your life, is your spiritual walk merely a facade? You see, a life backed up by proving character through consistent, wise living is essential to your integrity. Integrity means your fear of the Lord on Sundays and every other day of the week is the same when no one is looking. When you're not in the presence of fellow small group members, when you're not in the presence of gentle Pastor Allen or rough around the edges Chris. It means you don't live a double life the rest of the week. And your integrity is marked by how you answer the question, who are you when no one is looking? Because the heart of this question reveals your understanding of who you are before God. The Bible speaks clearly about who God is. Psalm 139.4 writes, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Or consider for, uh, Psalm 41.12, where David declares God's gracious hand over his life before God when he says, But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. These verses are a declaration of God's omniscience. He knows and he sees us. He sees you. In other words, we live before his presence. We live Coram Deo lives, which is a Latin term for Coram Deo, which basically means presence or before the face of God. Therefore, we would do well to grasp that we do not live solely unto ourselves, but before the Lord whose presence we can't hide from. When we grasp the reality that we live before a sovereign and an omniscient God, all that we say, all that we do, truly matters. Why? Because we grasp that living in the fear of the Lord touches all aspects of our lives. That our lives are not compartmentalized with church Chris, home alone Chris, out with friends Chris, karaoke Chris, or gym bro Chris but rather that our lives are one, wherever we are. That there are no variants 
of who we are along the sacred timeline that God has ordained and desires for our lives. No inconsistency, no disharmony, no contradiction, no hypocrisy. To live a life before the face of God is acknowledging that all of life is integral and makes up a complete or incomplete picture of your fear of the Lord. The word integrity has similarities to the mathematical term integer. I know some of you dislike math, hence you are humanities, science, health majors, but bear with me. An integer is a number with no fractional parts from sets of numbers. The word implies wholeness and without parts. And in other words, are you one person that is the same person in different contexts and with different people? Or are you duplicitous? Is your life fractional where only a piece of it is submitted or given over to God in obedience? This is the challenge that Solomon and other compilers of these Proverbs make. In the book of Proverbs, integrity is a theme that undergirds and holds all these various Proverbs together. It gives us a clear picture of what a virtuous life for the Lord looks like. Whether a proverb is addressing friendship, communication, uh, purity, work, anger, wealth, addictions, diligence, guidance, the, the, the topics encompass a plethora of issues so that we may navigate life skillfully in a broken and sinful world. The question is whether every aspect of your life involves the fear of the Lord. Do you desire to honor him in everything? While we will consider specific areas of wisdom during this season of life as young adults, I want us to first explore the topic of integrity by looking at this key idea, if you're following on in your notes. And that's this. Living with integrity means every aspect of your life is subject to the wisdom of the Lord and keeping in step with the fear of the Lord. And we're going to look at three aspects of godly integrity that you must watch and build into your life. First, your legacy. Proverbs 10.9 writes, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Live a life of pleasing and honoring to God where others will recognize and see your faith in Jesus as the real thing. Way too often as young adults, we live through the lens where reputation doesn't matter at all, okay? Maybe some of you have the mindset that reputation before others and your witness to others is inconsequential. Who cares what other people think? I don't fear man. And while that sounds pious, it's missing a crucial follow-up question. Do you fear God? Do you care what he thinks? Do you want to live in a manner that displays and demonstrates the worth of Jesus in your life? And demonstrating you comprehend and are growing in your understanding of his grace shown towards you in saving you? Or do you not see the preciousness of the gospel and the cost of Jesus dying and shedding his blood for you? You see, when our lives are consistent and true to what God teaches, our integrity, our character, it guards us, it protects us. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, also known as the Prince of Preachers, he writes, You lose your strength, Christian, the moment you depart from your integrity. 
Do we not see the strength of a believer's witness for Christ devastated by church scandals and its leaders, lacking integrity, and then shocked and made news headlines overnight? While sin and selfishness are seemingly hidden from people, it is actually directly under the pervading sight of our holy God. And the theme of Proverbs is clear, that there are two paths, two ways to live, the path of the righteous who are wise or the path of the wicked who are fools. The person with no integrity does whatever he or she wants without totally submitting to God's word. It may seem like a game or hustle one can keep up for a while, but eventually it catches up to you and your hypocrisy is exposed. And there are earthly consequences. You will be humiliated. You will be found out. You will lose your integrity that enables others to trust you. Why so serious, you might ask? Because Solomon knows the stakes are high when a pattern of life is inconsistent with God's word. So like a wise father and dispenser of wisdom, he warns us like a good and caring parent warns his children of consequences for foolish actions, for walking a foolish way of life. But those who walk in integrity do so step by step in the small ways that then build up this large and solid reputation that then garners trust from others over time. In the same way, small compromises over time chips away at your integrity and will chip away at your reputation. And it bleeds over into your relationships and in the workplace. It brings devastation and it brings shame. Or it may be suddenly shattered because of a scandalous exposure of your character and actions that were once hidden. Imagine the reputation that can be destroyed overnight due to compromise in one's life. Think for a minute, the Tour de France, Lance Armstrong and the doping scandal, which led him to being caught and stripped of seven titles that marred his legacy. Imagine the damage of reputation for his charity organization, Live Strong. But we don't need to look any further from the Bible to find real-life examples of compromise and how it can damage your integrity. Case study number one, Solomon. We know Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived on earth, with exception to Jesus. First Kings records the achievements and skillful living of Solomon that led to his rise and rule the building of the temple, his wide notoriety and fame even by foreign rulers like the Queen of Sheba. But 1 Kings 11 reveals the danger and damage of a compromising life, a life where one's integrity is damaged. 1 Kings 11 begins with this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite and women from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. You see, Solomon made compromises in his life. While the world of the ancient Near East commonly practiced marriage to multiple wives for political gain, like ratifying treaties, having a lot more power and, uh, among uh, your nations, allied nations. God prohibited this practice in Deuteronomy. Why? 
Because God's people were called to be set apart in their love for the Lord with all their heart. And disobeying and engaging in this practice would turn a man's heart away from the Lord. And this proved to be true for Solomon in his compromise. First, it was with his marriage with these foreign women. And then to worshiping their foreign gods. Verse 7 reveals the slippery slope and devastation of compromise in, in his life. He then built temples for these idols and made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. As the story goes, the Lord raises up adversaries as a form of judgment on Solomon and the consequences of his actions. What can we learn from Solomon's compromise when it comes to integrity before God? Well, we learn that walking in obedience is what is going to protect you from shame and earthly consequences of your sin. Why? Because your integrity becomes the confidence to live with a clean conscience. Because accusations might be made about you, but none of those comments stick because they don't accurately speak to who you are. And that is why your integrity is so important. And that's why it's matched with your legacy. Because integrity is the legacy of your character. In fact, having a good reputation and being known as someone of integrity is extremely valuable. Proverbs 22.1 writes, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver and gold. Now, uh, when we read that, it almost sounds like, hey, maybe I should ask mom and dad how much they thought into, uh, I guess, naming me to see how much they love me, right? Or we look to one brother in Praxis, who shall not be named right now, as an excellent model of applying this proverb through constantly maintaining a baby named Google Doc for his future children, Lord willing. You know, just in case. But that would miss the point. You see, a good name and reputation associated with your character and what others see in your character, not in your actual name in itself. A good reputation is the fruit of your integrity that is more valuable than even wealth, more valuable than dollar bills or cryptocurrency. Again, money and wealth isn't inherently bad, but integrity is more valuable than that. If we're talking about currency and exchange rates, money is not on parity with reputation. Reputation is a far more valuable asset. What you receive from your reputation is favor from others. Again, not money, but the approval and respect for your character. Consider brand reputation, how that's gauged by a company's integrity. A few, month, few months ago, I watched a Korean drama called Vincenzo. Spoiler alert. The drama involves a company's shady practices and crimes to grab land in order to build their company's skyscraper and expand their empire. And the company was driven by greed and power that then led to compromises in how they conducted themselves as a corporation. Not too far off from even real life. Eventually, their unethical practices and downright crimes were found out by this other questionable protagonist that oftentimes towed the line of gray justice. Being a lawyer by day and former mafia by night, he revealed all the dirty information and reg to regulators and the media. And the regulators prosecuted them and the corporation was dismantled. What does this proverb teach us? A good name and being thought of favorably by others is more valuable than money and power. You know, growing up, one of my favorite movies to watch as a kid was the 1971, and 
I'm not that old, uh, version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory based on the Roald Dahl novel. And the story goes like this. Charlie, a very sweet boy from a poor family, dreams of finding one of the five golden tickets inside these chocolate bar wrappers, which will admit him to the eccentric yet reclusive Willy Wonka's magical candy factory. One after another, tickets are discovered by children with questionable character. But Charlie gets the last golden ticket. During the factory tour, the kids' true colors are exposed. They're revealed. One guy reveals his gluttony when he's literally slurping liquid chocolate from a river of, uh, until, a river of chocolate until he falls into the chocolate river and has to be rescued. For one of the girls, her lustful greed for wanting everything for herself leads her to, to make demands for this golden goose egg that was never intended to be given out to the children. And eventually, the character of all five kids are revealed and four of them end up leaving the factory because of it but Charlie remains and here's my favorite scene of the movie you see during the factory tour Willy Wonka gives Charlie an everlasting gobstopper which is a new prototype candy that supposedly never loses its flavor but just like the other kids Charlie makes a mistake um, and disappoints Willy Wonka in one of the scenes. And Willy Wonka yells and tells Charlie to leave, just like all the other four kids, in disappointment. But in that scene, before walking out and leaving all the way, Charlie places that everlasting gobstopper on Willy Wonka's desk. And Willy Wonka's eyes were brightly lit up. Why? Because here was a boy of integrity. He could have sold that everlasting gobstopper, which was a prototype, right, to another shady candy developer, a.k.a. Slugworth, for a lot of money and become filthy rich, make his whole family rich, where he would no longer be in poverty. But instead, Charlie gives it back because he's a boy of integrity. The conviction and commitment to do what is right and what is good was more valuable than wealth and money. And as a result, Wonka reveals that the entire factory tour for the kids has all along been a test to find a good and worthy successor to inherit the factory. And he is the winner. Beloved, do you see the importance of integrity for your life? Do you value being a man or woman of integrity? How much would it take or what would you be willing to sell your integrity for? This proverb offers us perspective. Are you willing to sell your integrity in order to gain a personal advantage for yourself? Are you willing to make compromises or accommodate sin or what is unloving towards others in order to make life easier for yourself? For you, what price is right for you to give up your integrity, your witness for Christ and before others? In what ways are you like Esau who sold his birthright to Jacob really because of an appetite for instant gratification. As young adults, many of you have an advantage. Your reputation and integrity is still being formed in the season of life. It's being demonstrated to a wider audience of people than just your college friends. And you should endeavor to cultivate a life that honors God and serves as a positive witness before all men and women. Your attitude at work 
how you communicate with the guys or gals at work during lunch break are all opportunities to either build or blow your integrity. To build up or destroy your witness before unbelievers and bring glory or reproach on Jesus Christ. You see, the little choices you make each day as you live in the fear of the Lord will either fertilize your integrity or shrink and destroy it. So how do we grow in integrity as young adults? That brings us to our second point. We can grow our integrity before God and others by being men and women of commitment. So look at our second point, your commitments. Proverbs 20, 25 writes, It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. To make a vow or promise and then to retract it. That's what it's speaking about. Notice how making statements of commitment is called a snare. Does this mean making commitments is bad? No. It's called a snare or trap because it's pretentious piety or demonstration of loving commitment. But it's not really that. God isn't deceived by us. The danger is that we speak before we think or we think too lightly of the things that we say and commit to before God. God and others. And in this way, our problem isn't necessarily making commitments. It's thinking too little about how we will then fulfill those commitments out of our lips. James 5.12 writes, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Brothers and sisters, we show a lack of integrity when we demonstrate to others that we are unreliable or that we are unfaithful to the commitments that we make before God and to each other, that we don't actually hold true to our word. And this can dangerously become a pattern. Proverbs 25, 14 writes, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Clouds and wind would lead one to expect specific weather conditions in Solomon's day. For example, a dry location like Israel, clouds and wind would give the idea or at least bring hope for rain. But a, person's, but a person who boasts with words like the cloud and the wind, you expect the gift to follow, but he or she doesn't deliver. And that's the parallel being made. There is no rain. But not let's... Let's not lose sight of the word boast here. This is someone who boasts and distorts factual reality to deceive another. You make a loud and great promise, maybe to impress others with this gift or blessing that you will give or do for them, but you only leave people disappointed. Have you ever said, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of it, but then fail to keep your obligation or commitment? Or have you ever casually canceled an engagement or activity that you RSVP to and said you were going to because something better came along? Now, look, I, this is not meant to like call any of you out specifically or say that there are no like right circumstances where it is good to cancel uh, plans being made, right? We, we understand that at times you have to break those commitments uh, for something else that's more urgent um, and more wise before the eyes of God. But what this is speaking about is how you walk, your pattern, right? Over time, is this something consistent in your life? 
One cannot expect much of your words and promises because your integrity, which backs the credibility of your words, has been damaged. So as you evaluate your commitments, are you able to perhaps see the lack of integrity you might have in certain areas or compartments of your life? For example, let's take the topic of spiritual disciplines. Your weekly prayer request, week in and week out, is that you would be more in the word and prayer. You make a vow or commitment to show your intention with other small group members, your desire to grow in this area. And if that's your prayer request, praise God. That's a great thing. But does your commitment stop at just words and promises? Or do you actually reflect on how you will, by the grace of God, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, fulfill those commitments that you make, even if at times you will fail? You see, a consistent pattern of rash commitments in word only does not please the Lord. It's just an illustration, imagine a dating relationship. You know, the boyfriend-girlfriend type. And let's say hypothetically, this golly gal finds herself in an early dating relationship with what I like to call a cage-stage man-boy. According to Urban Dictionary, a man-boy is a male who by age should be a man, but still acts childish and oblivious of what acting grown-up is about. A pattern of failed commitments is a huge dissonance between what he says and his actions, which can either be rooted in selfishness, laziness, or general ungodliness. There doesn't seem to be a daily devotion to God in his life. Very little thought about God and commitment to submit submit to every area of his life to the Lord. So she says to him, hypothetically speaking, You know, I never really know or can trust that you're ever going to follow through with your commitments to God or also to me. Now, those kind of words should be humbling as well as devastating. And maybe this illustration is a bit of a caricature. And you know what you're thinking? Dump the chump. Or maybe some guys in here are thinking, "Uh uh-oh, is he talking about me? But rest assured, I didn't have anyone specific in mind, so that must be the Holy Spirit's work in your heart. But my point is that relationship with God, relationship with family, relationship with friends, our integrity is revealed by intentionally keeping promises that we make to people, even when it's not convenient. On the flip side, our lack of integrity reveals its true colors when we think we're clever in straddling commitments made with maybe the mentality, I like to keep my options open to do what serves me and my own selfish interests best. And if I can get really real with you, I I sometimes see this even amongst some of us in praxis, and even I can be guilty of this as well. Instead of making rash commitments, we think it's somehow virtuous to then make no commitments at all. We swing to the other side of the pendulum. Whether it's for a casual event or a scheduled meetup with a friend, we demonstrate our love for others by keeping our commitments. We demonstrate our integrity by carrying out the call to consider others more important than ourselves. When Paul says in Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. You see, when your commitments are only driven by factors like, oh, who's going to be there? Or I'll go if you go. What does that reveal about your heart's priorities with respect to loving God and loving others? What does that reveal about your integrity? You may not share the details or specifics about uh, why you don't keep your commitment. You may even elaborate 
or may not even elaborate or tell others why you refuse to make a commitment. But the question is, what are your underlying motives in your heart for why? Is it because there doesn't seem to be anything in it for you as a person? Maybe there's someone you're interested in getting know better. Do you treat praxis or fellowship as a mere proxy for dating and relationships? I want you to know certain people, or, or maybe it's with the mindset, I want to know certain people, but couldn't care less about the rest of the group. You see, if you have a list of preconditions for fellowship, where certain people have to be there, what does that say about your heart? I think it exposes a lack of care and regard for anyone who isn't part of your required VIP list. You see, our engagement and desire to move towards others and love shouldn't be predicated on what you can get out of it. It's operating from a, because when we do that, we're, out, we're operating from a transactional point of view of love. Someone with integrity loves others from a pure heart, not a self-centered heart. Beloved, if our integrity is built and maintained by our commitment to God and our commitment to others, may we make commitments but be thoughtful about our commitments and also how we might fulfill those commitments. May we not only be men and women of the word, but that we would also be men and women of our word. Next, I'd like for us to look at the third aspect of building and maintaining godly integrity, and that's your diligence. First, diligent planning. How many of us live lives without a plan, without a care in the world? Perhaps some of us believe our lives should be marked by just going with the flow. Just follow what others are doing. Perhaps the cynic in some of us think establishing plans is actually incompatible with faith and trust in God. But nothing could be further from the truth. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You see, living wisely means making plans and then committing those plans to God. After you plan, you depend on the Lord. The word commit literally means to roll, like you're rolling your burdens and plans and presenting them to the Lord to see how he will work in your life and what he will do with those plans. It means you make plans and submit them for God's approval. We should always hold our plans loosely and be flexible to what the Lord may provide. But nowhere does Scripture say, don't make any plans at all and let the Holy Spirit take the wheel of your life. Proverbs 21, 5 elaborates, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. <clears throat> Again, diligent planning is not bad. There doesn't have to be this divide, dichotomy between trusting God and making plans. Those who are hasty or impulsive in making quick decisions without reflection, thought, or prayer, or counsel from others, are not regarded here as people of integrity. The consequences of this sort of unwise lifestyle is losing out unfavorably. Beloved, wise living entails intentional planning along with intentional prayer for God's outcome for your life. Skillful living involves skillful planning. Abundance in life requires planning and hard work rather than shortcuts to meet your goals and expectations. Some people don't want to make plans in life 
but then expect things to just fall on their lap and maybe pan out according to their desires. And that's really how they think God operates in their lives. But how foolish is that? Rather than planning diligently and valuing hard work, which may at times be boring, the one who doesn't diligently plan may be more attracted to maybe get-rich schemes. How can I get the most with doing the least amount of work? He or she pursues shortcuts thinking it will lead to abundance. But such hasty thinking and endeavors to achieve goals in life is short-sighted. In fact, the warning of this proverb is that impulsive actions will then lead you to poverty. And what this proverb is getting at is that it's trying to connect diligent planning with your integrity. Are we daydreamers rather than day planners of our lives so that Christ may be magnified? You see, these proverbs teach us that there is actually value in diligent plans and taking active steps of entrusting the results of those plans to God. How many of us have failed to diligently plan our spiritual lives and growth, yet we still manage to diligently plan for vacations, trips, and get-togethers? Consider this scenario as an illustration. You and a friend in practice decide to have a fitness challenge. Okay, a little role-playing here. You want to get more fit, physically fit. You might be wondering, is this another gym illustration, Chris? And my answer to you is, yeah, bro. Let's say your goal is to lose 10 pounds and look more toned. And let's say these two guys' names are Chris and Matt. Three-month plan, lose 10 pounds, get fit. Month number one, Matt plans a routine he hopes will get him to lose weight. He chooses a fitness program with core exercises that will target every muscle of his body. On days he's not lifting weights, he does some cardio work by running at the beach. It'll give him rhythms of rest and recovery in between. Chris says he wants to lose weight. He even bought a pair of dumbbells from Dick's Sporting Goods after having lunch at Raising Cane's, the four-piece meal at Doamo. He's doing research, a lot of research, on the best fitness programs, reading hours each week on Reddit forums, and watching YouTube videos on the best fitness routines. Month number two, Matt has been regularly exercising according as planned. He's tracking how much weight he's lifting each time. He's even started tracking how many calories and macronutrients he needs, fats, carbs, proteins. He's identified it and learned to cook healthy meals and learned to shop and buy the appropriate groceries that will help him to meet those goals. Chris's dumbbells, on the other hand, has been collecting dust. He watched a Zumba video on YouTube he even heard about a fitness routine by some random fitness, fitness YouTuber, uh, YouTuber called Chloe Ting. But some of the Praxis sisters even shared how helpful and successful that program was for them. So maybe it'll work for him. But he's too busy to commit, plan, track his fitness progress, and step on the scale. Maybe I'll figure it out next week. Month number three. Matt is weighing out his food, tracking how many calories he's been eating, how many pounds of weight he's lost so far. He's also getting stronger evidence by his ability to lift more weights and with greater endurance. Chris finally has a plan. Month number three. He's going to starve himself for the last few days of the challenge. He's, he figures probably he eats around two pounds of food a day, right? So he just doesn't have to eat for five days. Unfortunately, during the, uh, the last five days of the month, <clears throat> Chris couldn't do it. He felt weak without eating that long. The night before the end of the challenge and the final weigh-in, he downs an entire pint of concha while binging hospital playlists on Netflix. 
Who do you think achieved and met their fitness goals? Matt or Chris? It shouldn't be a surprise. We don't sympathize with Chris in this illustration, who didn't show any persistent work or effort. He was busy reading up and studying the best fitness routines, but he actually never got around to actually diligently exercise and take steps to plan and change his diet. He was busy, all right, but he was busy with the wrong things. There was also procrastination. Starving yourself for five days when you've never done that before. Come on, man. And in this illustration, we see Chris lacked integrity in diligent planning. Who do you think people would trust for fitness advice? Who do you think claims to be fit while actually being fit? Who do you think lived and acted in integrity with respect to fitness? You see, delayed diligence is a form of laziness. And it's a form of lacking integrity in how you live before God who cares deeply about your daily life and how you'll use that to glorify and honor him. We call these misplaced priorities. And while we may laugh and shrug off this comical illustration, it's no laughing matter when this is how we approach our spiritual lives with the Lord as well as with one another in the church. Perhaps some of us have bought into the lie that spiritual growth happens passively. That holiness and growth in, through spiritual disciplines are just going to happen by happenstance as you let go and let God. But this naive way of thinking is exactly what the wise author of Proverbs wants to correct. You see, you're living before the face of God. If we are able to diligently make plans for fitness, for work, for travel with friends, how much more ought we make diligent plans for our growth, for our drawing near to God, for fostering our relationship with him? And finally, this connects to another area of our life to watch for integrity, our diligent stewardship. Diligent stewardship. Proverbs 6 6 to 8 reads, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And as a juxtaposition, Proverbs 24, 30 to 31. Now we have the sluggard. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken. Now, most of us wouldn't think of ourselves as being lazy. Many of you worked very hard to get into top colleges, as well as to get to where you are in your workplace or corporate world. And so by the world's standard, you wouldn't be called lazy. But at the same time, the world is blind to spiritual realities. The world doesn't have a category for spiritual laziness before God because the world doesn't have a category for living before the face of God. For they don't believe in God. For the world, stewardship terminates with the person themselves. That is why that as believers, we must understand that laziness can oftentimes be disguised 
as diligence. We could be deceived. In other words, just because you're doing a lot and, and are very busy, it doesn't mean you aren't lazy. It could just mean that your busyness is a defense mechanism from coping with the reality of your own laziness and getting to the root, getting to the heart of the matter. And the root of laziness is self-love. Korean pastor, a lot of Korean today, Nam Joon Kim writes in his book, Busy for Self, Lazy for God, self-love constantly puts obstacles in the way of godly and holy living. And this is because the one who loves himself places his own interests, agenda, and desires above those of God. In other words, the laziness of humanity ultimately causes people to stop thinking of God's glory as a worthwhile pursuit and encourages them to cherish instead a more comfortable life. How appropriate is that quote as we observe this proverb comparing the ant from the sluggard. The ant teaches us much about skillful living. The ant is diligent in making preparations and gathering food. An ant is a good steward in contrast to the sluggard. His time is well spent on the right priorities and how it handles its, its life. The ant has integrity and his work is evident to see before others. What should this teach us? It should teach us that we are stewards before our Lord and Savior. Our time and our resources exist to glorify Christ. And so we're called to be faithful stewards who are diligent, that persevere, that are intentional. As singles here in Praxis, we have a certain degree of independence. No spouse. Some of us don't live at home anymore with our families, with parents. So sometimes we think we live for ourselves. But as stewards, we don't live for ourselves. Because a steward has something entrusted to them from someone else. It doesn't belong to themselves. Our time, our resources, the relationship that God has ordained and placed in your life, they're all entrusted to you by God. And God calls us, God calls you to be faithful with the talents, with the gifts, with the abilities, with the money, with the time, for his sake. Beloved, integrity is something we are called to, as believers, to cultivate in our lives, in every area of life, even though we've only touched broadly and on a few. And yet, while we might sometimes lose hope sometimes, while we all fall short of integrity, we can have hope and confidence in Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life of integrity where every aspect of his life was integrated in the fear and the obedience of God the Father. And his integrity endured even as he died on the cross for our sins. That is the integrity of the gospel where before God he was affirmed and demonstrated as being a man of integrity in his resurrection. And his integrity meant salvation for all those who are in him and believe in him in faith. Praxis. Integrity in our lives is possible because of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. We are his chosen. But integrity in our lives is also necessary as a guard for your life. 
And also so that you can maintain and build your witness to a world that does not know integrity. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we fall short in many ways, Lord, and even for those of us who claim to follow you, we could be prone to wander. We can be oblivious to living a compartmentalized life, Lord, where we don't submit all to you, Lord. We think there is an aspect or an area of our life which is for us, for ourselves, Lord. But help us to see the folly in that. Help us to build and guard our integrity, Lord, knowing that this is what pleases you, that our character matters to you. In every proverb that we may study, in every subject, every topic, Lord, every area of our life, that we would understand that it belongs to you, that you seek to be glorified and exalted through that, Lord, that Christ in the gospel might be displayed in our obedience, that it might be displayed through our skillful living, that it might be displayed in living wisely, Lord, knowing when to do right and always to do what is right and knowing when to do that. Would you help us, Lord, so that we might do this, Lord, through your word, through uh, your spirit empowering us, Lord, and through even the counsel and wisdom of others who maybe even know us better than we may know ourselves, Lord, so that we might be found as men and women of integrity for your sake, No no matter where we might find ourselves in our lives, in our work, our vocation, Lord, with our family, friends, may Christ be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.